Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Hello, Church of the Rock. Welcome to another online service. Aren't you excited about these lockdown services? The way things are going, I think we should be back in person in a couple of years. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I hope not. Well, we just want to thank you for joining with us and hanging in there during this 15 months of this. We've been closed more than we've been open, but uh, eventually it comes to an end, right? And we get back to some semblance of normal. In the meantime, here we go. So I'm carrying on this week in the series we began called Jailbreak, and we've been looking at what it would be to live free. And most of you know that our vision statement of this church is this, to know God, to live free, to find purpose. Most of our messages revolve around one of those three. And of course, this Jailbreak series is all about living free. Not about just getting free, but living free. People need to get free and then stay free and live free. And we want to talk about stuff like living free spiritually, living free emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, in every way. And I want to take you to our our text that we've been using as an overall text. And it was Jesus' mission statement. And I just want to read it real quick for us once again to remind us what we're all about. And this is what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was Jesus' mission statement. And he declared that. And if you think about these things, I want you to think about this. So what would the good news for the poor be? The good news is you don't have to be poor anymore. You can have financial freedom. What would be the good news to the brokenhearted? Well, if you're healed brokenhearted, then you are emotionally free. If you look at it where he says to recover the sight of the blind, to me, that's physical freedom. And I know some people have tried to explain this away and they say, well, you know, that's talking about spiritual blindness, healing spiritual blindness. Well, I don't think so. I mean, yes, Jesus does that too. But that's not what this passage is about because what we find out is he said this and then he went forth and he started healing people, including recovery of sight of the blind. And you probably all remember this story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one proclaiming the Messiah. And what we just read was the mission statement of the Messiah from Isaiah 61. And so he's proclaiming the coming Messiah. He's now in prison. He's about to lose his head. He sends a message to his cousin Jesus. He says, are you the one or do we look for another? And Jesus sends a message back to him in prison and says, you tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised again. My question for you is, why didn't he just say yes? Why didn't he just say, yes, I am the one? Because I'll tell you why. He was validating the fact that he was this Messiah, the one who kept, came to set the captives free, including the recovery of the sight of the blind and the setting the captives free. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk specifically, this will be a very, very simple message today, talking all about spiritual healing. And you say, Pastor Mark, why is this so simple? It's simple because... It's simple. It really is. And we're going to cover some familiar ground because we have to go and renew these things to remember what it's all about. See, here's the thing I think everybody believes. 
You talk to any Christian, they all believe that Jesus healed 2,000 years ago. Nobody has a problem with that. What they struggle with is whether he still does it today, now and here in the 21st century. But I got news for you. The scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it in the past, he'll do it now. See, let me ask you another question. Why do people, and you know many of these, why do people pray with their eyes closed? (laughs) Because they don't expect anything to happen. That's why, right? Jesus prayed with his eyes open. You go read the stories. It says he lifted his eyes to heaven. Why? Because he expected something to happen. Here's my recommendation. If you like to pray with your eyes closed, at least peek every once in a while. See something, something happening, right? Just take a peek once in a while, please. I've told you this story before, but I love it. So Jesus arrives in the 21st century. First stop, a coffee shop. Three guys are having coffee. He goes up to the first one, puts his hand right on his head. Instantly, the man is healed. He says, my migraine, it's gone. Touches the second guy on the shoulder. The guy says, my bursitis, it's gone, I'm healed. He goes to touch the third guy. The third guy says, don't touch me. I'm on permanent disability. (laughs) I love that joke because you can see it happening, can't you? So what we're going to do today is we're going to look into scripture and we're going to look at dogged faith. In fact, my message today is entitled, Who Let the Dogs Out? You all know the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? Who, who, who? And you say, what do dogs have to do with healing? We're about to find out more than you think. So here we are, we're in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. It says, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Just to make reference, that is a Gentile area, which is important to the story. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her waste for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. You see the persistence, I hope, in this. Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. When Jesus answered and he said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. There's so much going on in this story. I love this story. I'm fascinated by the fact that the disciples wouldn't have anything to do with her. They were trying to shoo her away. I mean, she was trying to get in there and trying to get a healing from Jesus. And they're trying to shoo her away. Jesus, this is one of the very few places in all of Scripture where he's actually reluctant to heal her. And, of course, he tells us why. He says it's off mission. He said his mission is the lost house of the, or lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's saying it's not his time yet. And she's persistent and she's determined. So finally, he adds insult to injury. I mean, literally, he kind of insulted her. Kind of sounded like he called her a dog. Did you catch that? He said, not good to throw the, the you know, children's bread to the dogs. And just so you know what's going on here, it's a true story, is the Gentiles were called dogs by the Jews. That was their pejorative term. It was an insult. Make no mistake about it. Dogs were unclean. Gentiles were unclean. They call them dogs. And some of you who grew up when I did, remember this, that we had one word insults for every nationality. 
Every single nationality had one nerd insult, and we all used them for each other. And you know what? Back then, nobody actually cared. Didn't even phase us. I grew up in an Italian house. They called me a WAP. I wasn't just a WAP. I was a proud WAP. Didn't bother me at all. I could tell you the other pejorative terms, but I'm not allowed to because you're only allowed to use the one that relates to you. All the others are off limits today, right? And if you want to know what they are, because you're saying, what are the other ones? You'd have to go watch old episodes of Archie Bunker and all of the family, <laughs> right? You know, you can get them on DVD. They're still out there. Archie Bunker used them every single episode. He was the master of these things. He would last five minutes, maybe not even five minutes on television. But here's what I want you to know. I'm going to defend Jesus, not that Jesus needs defending. Because I don't think he was actually insulting her. For one thing, he didn't use the term dog. He didn't call her a dog face. I mean, no woman likes to be referred to, even referred to as a dog, right? But what he did was he used the diminutive of it. He said, it's not good to give the children's bread to the little dogs. And the little dogs were diverse from wild dogs. There was wild dogs. And then there was little dogs, which would be kind of like puppies or like pets. And the Gentiles actually kept dogs as pets. The Jews never did. And so he was, it was just a metaphor, really. He was saying, look, you understand, you, you need to know this, that, you know, you don't give the, the children's bread to the little dogs, you know, yapping around the table. And of course, she answers and said, you know, even the little dogs get the crumbs from the table. But we need to talk about this children's bread for a moment. So what, a minute, what is this children's bread that he's talking about? Because he's got to be referencing something. And it's called specifically children's bread for a purpose. We all know the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We are invited to talk to our Father in heaven and get bread from heaven. He says, I'll pray this way. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. And so we know that God literally will give us bread. And we know that that's true from the story of the children of Israel wandering for 40 years in the desert. And every single morning for 40 years, six days a week, for 40 years, he sent bread from heaven, manna from heaven, children's bread that came from the Father in heaven. Do the math on that. Every single day for 40 years, it's 12,000 Tim Hortons breakfast sandwiches. Every single morning, they got their Timmies. It came down from heaven, from them. So there's a little bit of picture, but in a broader sense, the children's bread actually includes all the blessings of God, right? It's when he says, give us this day our daily bread, it's not just physical bread. It's all of the blessings of God. And you receive blessings of God, not because you're so special, but because you're a child of the living God. And this woman was outside the house of God. She was not specifically a child of God. And so she was trying to press in and trying to get it. And, and you all know, she uses this great answer. She says, even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. Anyone who ever owned a dog knows what she's talking about, right? If you owned a dog or know somebody that owns a dog, you're having dinner, where's the dog? The dog is under that table and anything that falls down from that table, that dog's going to gobble up. There is no five second rule because that dog's going to get it before you get it, Right? And so you all know what, you're, what, what he's talking about here. Of course, today we have these crazy dog owners that actually set a place for their dogs. Some of you may be one of those types. Here's a picture of these people. They're so crazy. They, they you know, set up cutlery for their dog and whatever. And, and a dog can do that. A dog can sit at a table. A dog can eat not quite as well as you, but pretty well. They'll eat with their mouth, not with their paws. But we do know that they can play poker. 
right? Because we've all seen those pictures. Those pictures are over 100 years old, by the way. These are old paintings, a series of 18, very, very famous. You've seen them. And dogs are tremendously good at poker. I don't know if you knew that. Am I off message? Speaking of being off message, I don't think so. Uh, you know, there's a story of this guy. He's playing poker with his buddies on a Friday night. And he says, I hope you don't mind, but my dog, uh, he's a German shepherd. He's going to be playing tonight. And so the dog is sitting there. He's got his visor on. He's dealing. All, and the buddy turns to him and says, your dog must be the smartest dog in the world. He turns to him and sort of quietly says, he's not that smart. Every time he gets a good hand, he wags his tail. <laughs> the dogs, they have a tail. You get it, right? <laughs> Now I'm really off topic. And here's what I don't want you to miss about this story. So this woman says, even the little dogs get the crumbs from the table. And Jesus says, great is your faith. Did you catch that? Great is your faith. There was only two times that Jesus told someone that they had great faith and they were both Gentiles. One was the centurion, when he said, only say the word, my servant shall be healed. The other one was this one. So there is something in this story we need to learn about what I'm calling dogged faith. Determined dogged faith. Now, I want to tell you a little dog story to set this thing up. Because when I grew up, we had dogs. Specifically, my dad had dogs. My dad really liked dogs. And he liked man dogs. You know, there's like not man dogs and then there's man dogs. So we had a Labrador, a Boxer, and a Doberman Pinscher all at different times. And let me tell you about the Doberman because a Doberman is not a perfect indoor house dog. These dogs were never meant to live inside. They are so aggressive. They're, now, understand something. Our particular Doberman was really high strung, really active, really badly trained. I don't know if you know this. There's no such thing as bad dogs, only bad owners. And we were bad owners. Nobody trained this dog. And this dog was just so high strung. They're meant to be working dogs. They're meant to be outside. They want to run. They want to chase things. And every single time that door was open in our house, every time that door opened, that dog was out, that, out of the house. He shot out of the house and he ran down the street like a banshee, chasing rabbits, chasing squirrels, chasing cats, chasing mailmen, catching them and eating them. And this is a true story, bad part of it, the story. He actually did eat our mailman. He chased our mailman, ate our mailman. He didn't eat the whole mailman, but he ate enough of it that that we got in trouble. You know, and you know this, the very sad part of the story. You know this, that if a dog bites a human, attacks a human, they put the dog down. And that's what happened to our dog. Our dog was not only a Doberman Pinscher. You know what we named him? Blitz. Nothing like, you know, taking this dog, not training him, calling him Blitz and letting him get out the door. And every time that door opened, boom, out the dog went. And my mother was always, who let the dog out? Who, who, who? You can imagine my mother saying that, can't you? That's where that song came from. My mom wrote that song. And so that dog was always getting out of the house. And I want you to, and I love the Doberman Pinchers, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. They're trained as working dogs and they are fiercely loyal to their owners and fiercely deadly to prey. And they're trained as a protection dog. And I'll show you a little video of this and then we're going to build my whole case on healing on this. So I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Here's a video. Have a look at this. That was our dog. 
He did that every day, out the door and into someone's van, pulling him out by the, by the shoulder. I'm telling you, they're, they're, they can be a vicious dog because they're so fiercely loyal and they're trained to be protectionist. But I want to look at this idea of the, this dog, and I'm calling this dogged faith, because I think that what this little dog from Canaan had was dogged faith. And she had something about her that, that she understood what it was going to get to get the promises of God. So we're going to go through three points. Here's the three points of dogged faith. Number one is pursue it. Number two, lay hold of it. Number three, don't let go of it. And that's why I showed you that video. Isn't that what that dog did? It pursued it. It grabbed it. Didn't let go of it. So I'm swinging him around like that. That dog will not let go. So let's start with the first one. And the first one here is to pursue it. This woman, I don't know if you know, noticed how determined she was. She would not take no for an answer. She was like a dog with a bone. <laughs> That's a good one, right? And uh, she just kept on going after these promises. She wanted it. She didn't care if, if it was the uh, children's bread or not. She was going to go after it. And she was going to get it. She, a dog like a Doberman, uh, uh, goes after its, we'll call it its goal or its prey or its victim, whatever you want to call it, with great enthusiasm. And what this Canaanite woman did, she went after her healing with great enthusiasm. And I look at us today, and I think we're hesitant. See, you send that dog out that door after its, after its you know, predator, there's no hesitation. Boom, it's after that. And this woman was like that. When Jesus said no, she pushed in further. And I don't think we do that. I think we're too easily giving up. And I think our hesitation has to do with the fact that we've all had disappointments. We've all had moments of times where we prayed and it didn't happen. But I think more than that, you know what? I think we've just become too used to living with the sickness. I think we have so many sicknesses, so many illnesses. I think we've just become complacent with the fact that we're probably going to be sick. And you hear people, you hear them talk. They go, oh yeah, my arthritis is acting up. My migraine is acting up. My bum knee is acting up. They own it. They own the sickness. And you can understand why. I mean, you know, you probably know this. There's 144 strains of influenza alone. There are 200 different types of cancer. There's 29 types of lymphoma alone. We are so surrounded by sickness. We are so inundated with it. We just have become complacent with it. And we just live with it instead of pursuing our healing. So this week... I was watching a documentary on Evil Knievel. Do you all remember Evil Knievel? The stunt cycle driver he used to jump over stuff. So I'm watching this Evil Knievel, this, you know, he's kind of invented this whole thing of jumping motorcycles over stuff. And I realized he's probably the worst stunt man in history. Do you know that he crashed almost every single time he did anything? It should have been just crashing and not jumping. I, he even did one. I, I, I couldn't believe this. It was indoor. It was in an arena. And he had the ramp set up. He, he actually launched, went over the bunch of cars, landed on the back ramp, did perfect. But he didn't have enough run out and drove his motorcycle right into the concrete wall of the building and broke six bones. I thought, what's wrong with this guy? He crashes every time he does stuff. Remember, remember the, when he tried to jump the Snake River Canyon? And he goes in a rocket cycle, made it halfway, and went straight down. <laughs> Fortunately, he had a parachute. It was so dumb. Anyway, here, here's the story. Here's what I want you to know. He has crashed so many times that he broke 433 bones. 
433 bones, so he got this little illustration of it. Those are all the bones he's broken. Now, understand this. He hasn't broken 433 different bones. He's only broken 35 bones, but he's broken them 433 different times. I mean, the guy's a mess. So, so I'm watching this documentary and I'm wondering, wonder how he died. I couldn't remember how he died. Turns out he died at 69 years old. Do you know what he died of? A lung infection. He fought it. He spent months and months in hospital and rehab and traction and all kinds of things. And he dies of a stupid lung infection. He was able to somehow fight off all of those things. And somehow he wasn't able to. It just seems anticlimactic to me, right? He spent his whole life trying to kill himself in a motorcycle crash. And he dies of some stupid little infection. Right? It's like the, the guy that says, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like the other four passengers in his car at the time. <laughs> I so love that joke. Reminds me of my mother driving, by the way, until she lost her license. Anyway, <laughs> that was kind of mean, sorry. Anyway, so I'm getting back to Evil Knievel for a minute. I mean, he dies of this sickness. And a little sidebar on this story. I don't know if you know this. Six months before he died, he actually got saved and came to Christ and was water baptized by Robert Schuller at the Crystal Cathedral. And I just thought that was such a neat thing. He doesn't look like the same guy. So beat up by so many different things. Came to Christ at the end of his life. And that's tremendous. And I thought to myself, you know what? We're a lot like this. We put ourselves in danger. We do all these things. We, we're willing to you know, fight the dragons in our life. And yet we allow sickness to inflict us. And we put up with so much when we shouldn't be putting up with it. When we need to pursue the healing virtue of Christ. Because all of his promises are yes and amen. And the scripture says he sent his word and healed them. All is the answer. There's nobody here to say all. So I said all for you. And so, you know, here's what happens. So many of you know that we go on these mission trips and we come back from these foreign countries and we come back with all these glorious stories about all these amazing, miraculous healings. It's sort of discouraging for us on this side. And we think, why is it that we hear these healings over there are not here. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're not as desperate as they are. I was in India for only three weeks, and in three weeks I saw at least three people get healed from blindness. Blindness. One was a 14-year-old boy, born blind, saw his eyes open, saw it for the first time in his life. Another one was an 80-year-old woman, had been blind for about seven or eight years, totally and miraculously healed. I came back, I tell these stories, and everything I hear from people is, why aren't those things happening here? And I think the reason that they're not happening here is that we are not pursuing these things with the same tenacious faith that the woman from Canaanite had that wanted the crumbs from the table. So I'm going to give you another story. I'm going to tell a few little stories, all stories you're familiar with, but I think the lessons are in these stories. So you go to Mark chapter 2, and there's a story there about blind Bartimaeus. And the thing that was unique about blind Bartimaeus was he was blind. Right? And, and you remember this, Jesus came to recover the sight of the blind. And so, blind Bartimaeus, he's a, he's a beggar. He's begging at the side of the road. He can't see Jesus, but he can hear him. And so, when Jesus is walking down the street, he starts shouting out. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And do you remember what the disciples did? They tried to shush him. Just like they did with the Canaanite woman. They tried to shush him and told him to be quiet. What did he do? It says, he cried out all the more. And then it says, he threw off his garment. I've told you this before, that the meaning of that was 
beggars wore a garment, and by throwing off his garment, he was making this statement, I'm not going to be a beggar anymore. I've told you that before. And so it was part of the expression of faith. And he shouts out even the more. And Jesus comes right up to him. Now remember, Jesus can't, he can't even see Jesus. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm thinking, why would you ask him that question? I mean, think about it. He's blind. He's going like this. Or maybe he had a cane and he's going like this. What do you want me to do? For, it's obvious. I'm blind. What do you mean? What do I want you to do for me? Well, maybe he wanted money. Who knows what he really wanted? And so out of his mouth comes this. He says that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Did you catch that? It was this tenacious faith that he was going to lay a hold of that which God had for him. And he said, if he wasn't going to say, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. Would you agree with that? His, the disciples tried to shut him down. He would not accept the shutdown. And he pressed in. He pursued the promise and he received the promise. So let me tell you a little story that happened right here. And a lot of our really great miracles, because I've never seen blind eyes open in North America. I'm sure it's happened. I've never seen it. But I've seen deaf ears open. And so we were having one of our Tuesday night power and praise services. It's one of the places where we see some of the best results. And we were having this service. And I remember that particular night. And I was standing up here. And I said, tonight we're going to pray for ears. So if you've got ringing in the ears, if you've got deafness, if you've got hard of hearing, if you've got an infection in the ear, anything to do with the ears, we're going to pray for ears. There was a woman who was here for the very first time. Her sister had brought her. She was a medical doctor. She had been in a car accident, had serious whiplash. She had damage to her hearing and headaches, migraine headaches. And she had ringing in her ears so loud that she thought the phone was ringing all the time. She was constantly answering it. Hello? Hello? It's not funny, but it's sort of funny. And so anyway, so she's sitting there. And so when I said, we're praying for ears tonight, her sister says, Aren't you going to go up? She says, I'm too nervous. I'm too nervous to go up. And she said to her sister, and she was never been to church here before. Understand that. She said to her sister, if you don't go up, nothing's going to happen. So she thought to herself, it's true. If I don't go up, nothing's happening. I'm going up. So she got up and she walked up here, took this bold step that she wouldn't normally do. It wasn't part of her character and disposition. So she comes up. I remember praying for her and I prayed for her. You know what happened when I prayed for her? (laughs) <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing happened if you don't come up. Apparently nothing happens if you do come up. Except the next day. She phoned me the next day and she said, Pastor Mark, you won't believe it. I woke up this morning. The headache was gone for the first time in two years. And the ringing in the ear is gone. And I can heal, hear clearly. I've been totally healed. It was so amazing to me. I love the way she said, Pastor Mark, you won't believe what happened. (laughs) Why do people think I don't believe? Mostly because they would be right (laughs) about that. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to pursue the healing. He's given us these promises. And all those promises are yes and amen. And we have to pursue them. The second thing you need to do is you need to lay a hold of it. See, sometimes you don't get your results instantly like that woman didn't. So you have to lay a hold of it. I love this picture of that dog going in on that guy's arm. He's laying a hold of it. He's pursued his prey. Now he's laying into it. And that's what you do. You lay into the promise of God. 
So I said I was going to tell you biblical stories you all know, just to remind you, just to build your faith, because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you'll remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood. This woman had been bleeding, menstrual bleeding is what it's talking about, menstrual bleeding nonstop for 12 years. She had spent all her money on doctors, had not got healed. Jesus was in town. There was a huge crowd of people all around Jesus. And the scripture tells us what she was thinking. And the scripture says she believed that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she would be healed. So she pushes through the crowd. Probably this little woman, probably anemic, probably weak, been bleeding for 12 years. She pushes through that crowd, gets close enough, reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, it says instantly the flow of blood was dried up. And here's the part I love, because Jesus said, who touched me? And, and the disciples said, what are you talking about, Jesus? Everybody's touching you. There's a throng of people. This was pre-COVID, the days where you were allowed to touch people. And, and so he says, no, no, who touched me? And they said, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? And he said, no, I perceived power going out of me. He didn't even pray for her. He didn't even know she was touching him. She drew the power. She pursued him and laid a hold of it and received the healing. I hope that's a picture that's burned into your mind and into your heart today because that's how faith works. You have to lay hold of the promises of God. So let me tell you a little story about this. So Wilma Rudolph, she was born in 1940 the backwoods of Tennessee in a shack. She was the 20th of 22 children. And when she was four years old, they were dirt, dirt poor. They had nothing. But I'll tell you one thing they did have. They had faith as a family. And when she was four years old, she got double pneumonia. She got scarlet fever. Good chance that she got polio as well. And when she managed to recover and not die, which everybody thought she would have, she was actually paralyzed. Her left leg was completely paralyzed in the aftermath of this sickness. And so they put a big iron brace on her left leg and for the next five years, she walked around like this with this big iron brace and she couldn't beg and bend her leg and she, it was basically paralyzed. But her mother always said to her, woman, you can do with your life whatever you want. If you will put faith in your Christ, and faith in your Lord, there's nothing he can't do. So one day she's nine years old, nine years old. And she determines, I'm going to reach out and lay hold of that promise. And I believe I'm going to walk again because Jesus healed the lame. And she took off that brace and she threw it away and she started walking without the brace. Not well. She was literally dragging that leg along and she thought, I'm not walking with that brace. I'm going to learn to walk. And for the next four years, she attempted and tried and worked hard just to improve her gait so she could walk properly. And then she started to run. And she entered a race at school. She was 13 years old. She entered a race at school. First type race she'd ever been in, a running race, track and field. She came dead last by a country mile. She was so far behind. She went home, she told her mother this. She says, I'm gonna become the fastest woman runner in the world. And her mother said, Wilma, you can do whatever you set your mind to. So she started entering race after race after race. And guess what? She entered the next race, came dead last. Entered the race, next race, guess what? Came dead last. And the next race, guess what? Dead last. Then one day she entered a race and guess what? She didn't come last. She came second last. It was a huge improvement. She was making progress. Anyway, she kept at this and she started winning races. Eventually, you know where this story is going to go. So she ends up going to school at Tennessee State University. She joins the track team 
Goes into her first race. Guess what she came in? Yeah, you got it. Dead last. Dead last. And just kept on working towards it till she started winning races. Started winning state championships. She became known as the Tennessee Tornado. In 1956, she became part of the U.S. Olympic team and went to the Melbourne Olympics. Went and raced for the U.S. Olympic team in the Olympics in 2000, or sorry, 1956. Guess what she came in? Dead last. Dead last is the right answer. She lost. But she kept on working at it the next four years. And then in 1960, Rome Olympics, she went out and won. Are you ready for this? Three gold medals. And she was known as the fastest woman on the planet. Here's a picture of Wilmer Rudolph leaving everybody else in her dust. You see, that's the power of persistence and determination and faith. So we pursue it. We lay a hold of it. And let me just pause there for a moment because I love the picture of the woman with the issue of blood that she was the one who had to reach out and touch it and lay hold of his garment. And I have a bit of a story. You all have heard this story, but I'm going to tell it again because it fits so beautifully here. And it was a particular Sunday morning. I was preaching with a splitting headache. My head was pounding like this. It was throbbing so much. I was assuming everybody could see my head going bigger and smaller like this. It was, that's always pounding. And I thought to myself, I just got to get through this message. And I got to get out those doors. And I got to get to my office. And I need to lay a hold of a bottle of Tylenol. And that was my goal. You know what? You pretty much get what you have a vision for and faith for. So anyway, got through the message. I'm down that aisle. I'm almost out the door, almost to my office. And this woman with a cane steps out in front of me and blocks my way. And she says, oh, Pastor Mark, I'm so glad I bumped into you. Because she said, I knew that if I could just get you to pray for my hip, I would be healed. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, do you want to join me? I'm going to get some Tylenol. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. But I thought, you know, I'll humor her. How long will it take? I'm not going to wait for her to hobble to my office. And so, so I prayed for her. I don't remember the prayer. I know there wasn't an ounce of faith in it. And I went to my office and sat there and ate Tylenol for the rest of the day. So the next Sunday... I come in, I'm feeling fine. Headache's gone. This woman comes up to me, no cane. This woman comes up to me and says, Pastor, I want to thank you. I said, for what? She says, don't you remember me? I said, no. She said, you prayed for me last week. I said, I still don't remember. She says, I was the one with the cane at the back. You prayed for my hip. I went, oh, yeah. She says, I just want to thank you because the pain was completely gone and I'm not even using my cane anymore. And I thought, what is wrong with me? (laughs) That was the conclusion to this story. I think, what is wrong with me? I didn't have an ounce of faith. You understand this, right? I didn't have an ounce of faith for that woman that day. But she had all the faith in the world. So I said, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. (laughs) I didn't say it, but I certainly thought it. Because I thought it had nothing to do with me. But it was such a good lesson. I'm telling you this just to remind us. I think we get too comfortable with our sickness. I think what we have to do is reach out and lay hold of these promises of God. And recognize that nothing is too difficult for him. Last and final thing. First thing, of course, is pursue it. Second thing, lay hold of it. Last thing is don't let go. Don't let go of the promise. So I look at the Canaanite woman. She wouldn't take no for an answer. Like I said, dog with a bone. She just held on and held on and held on. Would not let go. Would not let Jesus go. And she was determined to stay and persist until she got her answer. And I think that's how faith faith ultimately works. And there's another story, third story in this series of uh, a little healing story that happened in Scripture. And you remember the story, it was in Capernaum. And Jesus is preaching in a house there. 
And there's no room in the house. And there's these guys, these four guys. And they brought their friend. He's on a cot. And he's a paralytic. He can't move. He's paralyzed. They can't get near Jesus. They can't get in the house. So they decide to go up on the roof. And you remember what happened. They tore up the roof and they, they lowered him down on ropes. Do you remember that? And, and I just want you to imagine this for a moment. So they dug up this roof, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But then they're lowering him down on ropes. And while they're lowering him down, you know what they said to each other? Don't let go. <laughs> because if they let go, he'd fall to his death, right? They're trying to get him healed, not sick or dead. <laughs> That's super funny if you think about it. And so, so they, they're lowering him down. Don't let go. And they lower him down. And, of course, you know the story. Jesus heals him because of the faith of his friends. And whenever I think about that story, I don't think I fully appreciated how determined they were to get that healing that they were willing to rip up some guy's roof in his house. And I know what we imagined. We imagined some thatched hut and they kind of moved a little grass out, out of the way and lowered him down. So I did a little research to find out what those houses looked like. I've been to Capernaum. And this is an, an illustration. This is what those houses kind of looked like. There would be brick houses like that. There'd probably be a staircase up on the roof. That's how they got there. And then they have this roof. And, and just so you know, that guy's not up mowing his grass on his roof. I'll tell you what he's doing. This is the next picture. This is a literal picture. And here's how these roofs were made. They used logs and then they used sticks and then they put wet clay up there and then they rolled it out with a roller. And then it hardened in the sun and that was the roof. Logs, sticks, hardened clay. These guys went up on that roof and they dismantled that roof. I'm wondering if you're... Oh, do, Understanding the determination these guys went to to tear that thing open. They were absolutely persistent and not willing to take no for an answer no matter what. That's why Jesus was so impressed. I mean, I don't think the owner of the house was as impressed. I get that. And actually, nobody gets it more than I do. I'm going to tell you a little story about this. It's not a roof story. It's a wall story. So I get a call this spring about the place my grandfather built, summer place in Kenora, Ontario, in 1945. It wasn't well built back then, but it's still standing today. I get a call that they believe there's been bear damage there and I need to go out and check it out. So the OPP let me through. The border was closed because of COVID. I go through there. I get to the island and I realize the bear has actually hibernated underneath the cottage. Here's a picture. I got a picture. I crawled under the cottage, took a picture of the bear den, if you've never seen one. My sister said, what were you doing under the cottage in the bear den? I said, taking a picture. She said, why would you do that? I said, where else am I going to get a picture? <laughs> so anyway, the stupid bear spends the winter there. He wakes up and he's been asleep for, he or she, don't know, for five months. How hungry would you be after five months of not eating? How hungry would you be? Do you know they don't eat, they don't drink, they don't urinate or defecate for five months? Boy, you're ready for a couple of good things, right? But one of them, one of them's going to be a meal for sure. So he comes out and... He was so hungry, this is what he did to the side of the cottage. Look at this. He tore the wall off. Plank by plank, he tore those walls right off. I mean, how hungry are you going to be? And he went into this cottage, went into the kitchen there. He could probably smell that that was a kitchen. Tore through every single thing in that kitchen. The fridge, the stove, the cupboards, every container. Destroyed everything, destroyed every appliance. There was no food in there. But he had to have something to eat. There was only one thing in the whole kitchen. You know what it was? A whole can of coffee. He ate a whole can of coffee. Boy, he had one caffeine buzz going that day, right? But here's my question for you. If you've been asleep for five months, how much coffee do you need to wake up? Probably at least a whole can, right? The point I'm making of this, I'm just showing you this illustration. 
is that's determination. That's dogged faith. If you want something bad enough, you will push in, press in, and you will not give up, and you will lay a hold of it and not let go. Last and final story, just real briefly. So Ayanna was her name. She was born in 2000, and she was a preemie. She was born, but she was stillborn. It was a very sad story. Came out of the womb, premature, was not breathing, no heartbeat. The doctors tried to keep her alive for 30 minutes. They tried to revive her, could not revive her. Finally, they handed her to the mother and said, why don't you take a few minutes with your baby? And we're so sorry, but we've now pronounced her as deceased. So her mother held that baby as a Christian woman full of faith, and she cried out to God. And she said, oh, God, please revive my daughter. I know you can raise the dead. And I ask you, Lord, for 35 minutes, she cried out to God, would not let go of the promises, believed that God could and would raise her from the dead. And after 35 minutes, 65 minutes after she was born, she started to cry and took her first breath and came back to life. This is an amazing story. So much so, in case you're thinking this is just some sort of made-up story, it was on Oprah. And when she was two years old, she had her on Oprah. And this is, you know, 2003, they showed these pictures. It was called Miracle Baby. It's Miracle Stillborn Baby. It came back to life. Oprah Winfrey Show, 2003. So you know that if it's on Oprah, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> you got to be true. But anyway... This little girl at two years old came on to the stage, walked on the perfectly healthy, perfectly well, told the story. And I loved what Oprah said. She said, the thing I love more than anything else is when you have a situation like this where you see a miracle and even the doctors say there's no other explanation for this other than God. That's what came out of Oprah's mouth. You see, because that is a true miracle. 65 minutes without breath coming back to life. You see, that's how we get the children's bread. We need to pursue it. We need to lay a hold of it. We need to not let go, but believe that all of God's promises are yes and amen. Do you know why? Because healing is the children's bread and it's your inheritance. And he sent his word and he healed them all. I want to take a moment and I want to pray with you right now, wherever you are. And whatever part of your body is hurting or sick or broken or whatever it is, I want you to touch that part of your body right now. We're going to pray together. And I want you to imagine yourself like that Doberman Pinscher, pursuing the promise, laying a hold of that promise and not letting go and being determined that whatever promise God's got for you for healing, you're going to receive it today. So just lay a hold of that part of your body, uh, wherever it is, and pray with me. Father, I ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit. You said the Spirit is upon us because you've anointed us to recover the sight of the blind, to set the captives free, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Father, those today that are afflicted, I pray that today would be their day of healing. I pray that today you would visit them from your throne in heaven, that the Father in heaven would send down the children's bread and heal and restore all the broken, every broken bone, every joint, every nerve, every ligament, every tendon, every autoimmune disease, every cancer, every virus, every infection, every bacteria, the Father God, that you would root them out of these bodies and that you would bring healing because you sent your word. And healed them all. In Jesus' mighty name, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. Hit the heart button. Hit the hand clapping button. Hit something to indicate that you are fully in favor of that prayer. 
Second and final thing is this. If you have never invited Christ into your life, you are outside the house of God. And the children's bread is a lot harder to get. Not impossible, a lot harder. And what you want to do is come into the family of God because the children's bread is for the children. And if you've never invited Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today. And I want you to just reach out, click on your screen where that little hand, raise hand button. By doing so, you're saying, yes, I want to be a child of God. And once you've done that, I want you to pray with me. And the prayer goes simply like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for my sin and died for my sickness. I thank you that you rose again and you forever lived to be my Lord. I thank you that you are not only my Lord, but my master and my healer. You are my everything. And today I receive, in Jesus' name, all the blessings of God, the children's bread. And today I'm a believer, a child of God, and I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.